Hello and welcome to another episode of the Talking Serverless Podcast. I am your host, Josh Proto, and today I am joined by Michael Hart, VP of Research Engineering at Bustle Digital and an AWS serverless hero. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Good. Good to be here, Josh. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I really appreciate the time that you're taking out to talk with us today. And, you know, first question I want to ask is sort of a similar one I like to ask all of our guests, which is, you know, how did you get to where you are today? And how did serverless uh, play a role in that? How did you even get interested in serverless in the first place? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been um, in the software world for quite a while, probably coming on 20 years now. Over that time, I've started some companies, been CTO, been consulting, contracting, um, moved to the US maybe six years ago, did some consulting for a while, built some things, um, and then about three years ago, joined Bustle. So I have done all sorts of, you know, worked in all sorts of different languages and platforms over the years, um, Java.net, PHP, um, most recently, mostly Node.js development. And I think when, when Lambda came out, I was working um, with a good buddy of mine, Jed Schmidt, on we were building the, the e-commerce site uh, in the US for Uniqlo, the um, Japanese oh, yeah. clothing company. Yeah. Love that place. Um, yeah, and, and that was great. It was just just two of us and we were kind of building building the entire platform um, on a lot of existing stuff that was already there, but we were trying to be as as lightweight and nimble as possible. So we were leveraging S3 a lot um, and leveraging you know, a lot of, a lot of kind of lightweight technologies um, at the time. And then, and then Lambda launched and it was, it was kind of perfect for, for some of the use cases that we needed it for um, like processing um, S3 objects, which, which is kind of what it launched with. Um, And both of us, you know, we're, we're using JS at the time. So, so it was kind of perfect for that. So, so started pretty early um, with Lambda um and i guess a bunch of other you know software and 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 similar sorts of platforms popped popped up at that time some of which still exist and some of which have kind of i guess they still exist i remember openwhisk looking really um looking really cool at the time and it's kind of i don't know maybe it's still around um but there there were a whole it, it the, the whole space kind of exploded um i ended up going to i think it was the first serverless conf um in new york in 2016, um, and yeah, there was a, there was really just a great buzz about about the space and about the the sort of opportunities that that this style of deployment, I guess, and style of infrastructure opened up. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, serverless opens up a whole world of opportunity as far as you know what now becomes possible and what becomes more uh, or easily obtainable, especially affordable in certain instances, um, and that sort of way. Uh, and you know, you mentioned that you know. You've you know done a lot of things, built a lot of things. Uh, we're CTO before. Mm. Um, do you think um, you know serverless inspired those sort of like enterprising capabilities or in, uh, enterprising uh, inclinations in that sort uh, of way? I, absolutely, I think you know when when you're CTO or even you know the position that I'm at um, at Bustle Digital, a lot of it is about um, looking at how technology can help your team move faster. You know, just just remove impediments so that you can focus on the product that you're building um, rather than getting bogged down in the tech. Um, and I think 
you know, re- removing the, the management of infrastructure is a huge boon for for companies and for teams that don't necessarily have that expertise or or can't spare it or could could put that time into other things. And I think it, it was just it was just such a light bulb moment um, seeing how easy it was um, just to scale up so effortlessly on Lambda without without needing to worry about so many aspects that you typically need to worry about when you need to scale. Um, you know, scale a server or scale a system. Um, the fact that kind of so much of that is managed for you, and you just you, you don't really need to think about it. Um, yeah, it's it's just fantastic, and and it helps again that that ultimate goal of just being able to focus on the product and building the product that you're building, as opposed to getting bogged down in the tech. You know, uh, one thing I wonder is before when you were working, you know, in sort of like a pre pre serverless or sort of like a pre pre mm-hmm. lambda world. Um, you know, when you had to spend more time worrying about managing infrastructure or managing it yourself, was it something that you know you sort of had a feeling like, oh, you know, one day we won't have to do this, or it would be really great if we never had to do this. I could do all these other things, or was it, or when it, the opportunity finally presented itself, like just offload it to these third party services? Was it like a light bulb? I think I hadn't quite anticipated. Um, the pure speed with which a lambda container spins up, um, I, I hadn't I hadn't really considered that to be possible. So we were we were using um, Docker on the on the Uniqlo project, and I I kind of thought that was the future, um, and and I still to a degree think that that is the idea of um, containerization is still um, you know and and that that's a part of lambda as well, obviously, but. But um, I think Docker opened up this this idea of oh, hang on, you don't need to worry so much about configuring a server. Um, you just need uh, and and also the reproducibility element. I think that was always a, a difficult one. Um, I mean, it's gotten a little bit easier in time um, to create you know EC2 images, but at at the time it was just really hard and slow to create a reproducible build essentially a reproducible image that you could just spin up um so docker really opened up you know obviously docker's built on 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 a bunch of technologies but it kind of popularized uh, that that method of containerizing everything so we were using that um and i thought yeah i thought okay this is great if if this sort of technology can get faster and you can just um spin up docker containers left right and center and then lambda came along which was essentially that i mean it wasn't it wasn't quite um you know, take your Docker container and run it. That's why um, I mentioned OpenWhisk before because they were one of the first, or at least one of the first that I saw that kind of did that. And I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be great. But I don't think they really quite got the scale and uh, the scaling thing working. Um, but it's but it's great to see Google um, Google Cloud Run doing that model now. I think um, it's going to be fascinating to see how things play out moving forward with, um, you know, this sort of Lambda type model where you don't have containers per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and Google Cloud Run, where you do have containers, um, but they're both quite, you know, I think they're both uh, they're both serverless technologies. I think it's I think it's a really interesting space. Um, so no, I, getting back to your original question, I don't I don't think I had anticipated that it would that it would quite be in the sort of space where you can spin up you know three thousand instances, separate, isolated processes um, within milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Um, that it still seems magic to me, um, and I don't. Think, <laughs> I don't think I would have been able to predict that at all. You know, well, you know what's that quote about? Like magic is in very advanced technology, or like an indistinguishable. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're you know the future is now. 
as far as far as we're concerned in that way. Um, yeah, no, it's really interesting. I'm also interested to see Google Cloud and AWS and Lambda. They continue to sort of like grow and mature. Not that they aren't mature now. Um, see like who really decides to use which one and that sort of thing. Because, you know, I'll talk to a lot of clients and see like specific industries or specific use cases, you know, they're sort of already starting on AWS, whether others are like, you know, we started, we were very heavy into Docker, we're very heavy into containers, and we're doing GCP, and we really like it, and we feel comfortable, or their industry is sort of more regulated or related to the government. And so it's like, we feel really comfortable with GCP. And, you know, I, you know, I wonder if, those whole entire industries will really just be owned by those service providers down the line in that sort of way. But right now, it's, I think, too early to tell. Yeah, yeah, it is a little bit too early to tell. And I've, there's, there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of merging and, and um, I think all of these different technologies are going to borrow from each other. I think technologies like Kubernetes will become less um, configuration heavy, you know, hopefully and more, uh, you know, more closely resemble Lambda and, and Lambda, you know, I think will become more and more powerful or open up more and more um, use cases in, in such a way that it might, re, you know, start to resemble more of a, a container-based um, platform as well. Um, and, it, and it'll be interesting to see sort of where where they land, whether they end up converging on a point or whether they all end up diverging into their own little specialities. But I, I definitely think Lambda Lambda got the the compute aspect um, so right so early um, that it's everything's now kind of catching up to build on top of that. You know, uh, with their recent Absolutely. recent release of EFS, for example. You know, that's that's sort of five years after um, Lambda launched, um, and and I think yeah, the persistence side of things the um, Mm-hmm. The data storage, the the database side of things. How does it? How does everything else catch up to the serverless world in a way? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I definitely see that a lot. And just having to, you know, it's definitely a balancing game one has to go into. And you know, something you'd mentioned before that I'd love to get more of your perspective on because I think it's something that you know, one of the things I read all the time, like in like the AWS Lambda case studies or talking to clients or talking to someone who's trying to sell someone else on serverless is, you know, all this extra time that you don't have to spend managing your infrastructure. You can now, you know, focus now more on your product. And as someone who has, you know, uh, been in charge of, you know, leading a lot of initiatives and sort of being the one guiding projects, I'd want to ask, you know, unpack that a little bit. Like, you know, when you have this extra time that you don't have to use spending on infrastructure, uh, how do you like to best uh, use that in order to either improve the product or improve the development or improve your processes? What mm. for you sort of seems to be like the uh, the expert move when you have that extra time? Isn't it? Like you don't you don't really see it as extra time because time just gets eaten up by, by working on other problems, um, other other arguably unsolved problems uh, in, the, in this never-ending um, never-ending kind of quest in software for the perfect the perfect development environment or development system. I think a large part of it is um, I'm still a big um, proponent of of speeding up um, CI/CD um, kind of systems and and making that making the development process itself um, better and faster. I think serverless has kind of solved the the infra aspect and, and you don't need to spend as much time worrying about you know whether your server's going to fall over or anything like that um, but I think there's still there's still a lot of 
unsolved um, problems in the in the development space itself. The amount of time that that you know developers are sitting around waiting for tests to finish, or the amount of time that they're waiting. Um, I guess I guess serverless. I feel like maybe serverless infra, or, or certainly Lambda anyway, has gotten a little bit. The development as it's become more complex has gotten a little bit slower. I think you know mm-hmm. best practice now is is probably to use CloudFormation for everything, but then that that comes. And 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 AWS is making that faster. I think I think it's I guess it's just a matter of waiting waiting for CloudFormation to you know become a little bit faster on on various aspects, um, CloudFront deployments and things like that. Um, I think are, are getting faster and faster. Um, but there's still an element of of you know twiddling your thumbs, waiting for a deployment to launch, or waiting for tests to for run, sure. or trying to trying to iterate quickly on on trying out a new idea. Um, you know, and, and do you launch a whole stack for that just to just to try that out, or is there some way that you can um, play around with it locally? And I mean, that whole journey led me to to sort of create the the Docker Lambda project, um, which I I created a few years ago. Actually, it was it was around the time of that first um, serverless conf um, that I'd been playing around with it. And I I um, so so this is this is a, a reproduction of of the live Lambda environment, but as a Docker container, so that you can kind of run it locally and. Um, yeah. it's, it's especially useful if you have um, native libraries or binaries, um, which plenty of projects don't. And, and, you know, by all means, if you don't need them, don't. Um, you know, if, if you're <laughs> using a dynamic language like, like JavaScript or Python, try to avoid, um, you know, native libraries or binaries. But if you have to, then, um, then yeah, you kind of want an environment to be able to test it out in. Um, and and you, could, you could definitely launch a, you know, launch a sort of test lambda for that. But but there are just some things that you can't quite do when you don't have control of the control of the system. So being able to run that as a Docker container, um, I think is kind of useful as as a local local development thing. Um, and I was chatting I was chatting with Tim Wagner, who was kind of the, the oh, yeah. father of um, AWS Lambda. I was chatting with him at the Serverless Conf about it um, and, and whether he thought it was a good idea. I was like, oh, I want to build this you know this local testing thing, and he was like, No, look, I, I just think I don't think it's I don't think that's where it's going to be at. I think everyone's just going to be debugging in the cloud, and I, I kind of think that's where the future is. And that may that may very well be true, but I think, you know, about a year later, the the AWS SAM team contacted me, and they were like, "Oh, hey, uh, we've seen your project, and we'd really love to use it yeah. <laughs> as our local uh, local testing tool in SAM. Is that cool?" And I was like, "Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah." And they're like, "Yeah, great." Uh, by the way, can you build a Java runner for us? And can you build a? <laughs> um, yeah, so so I think I think that that area is still. I, I still think there's a lot of room um, to to grow in terms of development tools and local tooling and um, whether whether it's you know making it easier to debug in the cloud. Um, you know, that's there's certainly something to that, um, but. But I think there are just certain things. Like I was thinking the other day, one one thing that you can't really do yet, um, even if you were debugging in the cloud, is for example test how uh, persistent TP, uh, TCP connections work. Um, you know, without without sort of throwing a production load at it and just waiting for something to fail, you can't really. It, or it's very hard to see what happens when a lambda process freezes um, and then wakes up again x minutes later. Um, because another request hits it, and and what happens to any open TCP connections and things like that. Whereas you know, if you're if you're doing that locally, well, you can just do Docker pause on your container yeah. um, and start it again, and then sort of see 
see how your your application behaves does it does it gracefully um, reset those TCP connections or you know things like that I think um, until at least until you I guess you're kind of at the behest of AWS for things like that until they build better tooling for debugging mm-hmm. uh, debugging live systems I think there's there's still going to be room for needing to do that stuff locally yeah because I think the only like the way I can really only think of approaching it as sort of you know like using some sort of third-party monitoring tool and then you know they sometimes have something that will help you do live debugging, but you know, I did ideally, or you and using some sort of like maybe like a chaos engineering sort of yeah of, of just injecting it. But as far as like something maybe a bit more systematic, or maybe or like a bit more left brain, not totally sure a way to do that in the cloud. I don't really, I couldn't really think of one. So there are certain aspects of the like lambda lifecycle that you just don't have control over. Um, you know, when is it when a container is going to die or something, or when you know. So yeah, you're right. A, a chaos engineering approach kind of works, but it it'd take a long time. You know, you'd need to wait an hour or half an hour or something to be sure that a container has started up and then had time to freeze and then died. And I mean, and that's 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 a niche problem. That's not that's not something um, necessarily that you'd have in in a test suite. But it's it's little. There are there are still little things like that that I think need to be filled before we can go full cloud full cloud debugging. Absolutely. And then, you know, I think there will always be a subset of people that never will want to debug in the cloud, potentially, right. depending on what that looks like. So that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I think you're right about that. I think there's an attitude. Um, and I, I probably fall in that camp as well, where I'm like, wow, I, don't, I don't really want to launch a stack in the cloud, even even though it is very easy. It's, it's a little bit irrational. I think it's a little bit of an irrational thought. Um, but I think there's a there's an aspect where I'm like, no, I I just want to run it locally. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I want I want to test it locally. I don't want to test in the cloud. It feels wrong, you know, incorrect somehow. <laughs> it's probably just an attitude I have to get over. But um, but yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there are plenty of developers out there that aren't, aren't used that that will take a while to come around to to thinking um, thinking in that way. But I guess that's you know that's why tools like um, AWS Sam exist, and I think will yeah. will continue to exist. I think all we all we need all all we ideally need would be a um, a local cloud formation. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. If I could, if I could just uh, be able to test building an entire stack, including CloudFront and everything, without actually having to wait for it all to spin up, that would save me mm-hmm. a lot of time. I hope I hope AWS is listening right yeah, now, yeah. and they can just pull that out. Well, I know I know the teams are always working on making uh, the different products faster, but I'm like, no, no, this I, I want to be able to tell within milliseconds whether I've done something wrong. You know, there are linting tools that are getting better at that. Um, yes, but it, but it would be great if there was if there was some really complex mocking. I, I should I should probably look into local stack. I know they they use the. Um, the Docker Lambda containers um, that I've created and, and a bunch of other um, things. They're, they're sort of touted as a, as a complete reproduction of a lot of AWS services. I wonder whether they um, CloudFormation sort of stuff. I know I had, um, what was it, in Portland before, you know, the world's face sort of melted. I went mm-hmm. to this meetup. There was, a, there was this interesting team working on a project of basically doing like very, very smart linting. Um, and they hadn't really done anything, th- figure like a, it's a geared towards the cloud or trying to do it. Um, 
in that way, but at least there's people who seem to be trying to create more robust processes of mm-hmm. testing and debugging out there. So people are trying to tackle that rather than uh, rather than anything else. You know, it's really interesting. I think you know the point you you made about the uh, you know like well, where does the t- like how do you use all this extra time? And it's sort of mm-hmm. like you know it's not something you see. It's just mm. something that. Uh, you know, you still experience that there isn't enough time in the day. But, you know, hopefully, I suppose then that serverless provides you like a higher set of problems to deal with, or at least problems that you wouldn't be having otherwise, if you didn't have the space. And that's a benefit. Yeah, no, it does. And I think I think for, you know, you think about a small team, well, it means that they don't, they don't necessarily need to hire a, you know, go out and find an infrastructure person, Or, or if they do, that person's role looks slightly different right now than what it what it was before instead of them needing to worry so much about configuring servers they might now be looking at just um you know watching metrics and optimizing optimizing things you know maybe tweaking tweaking little cpu or memory um levers or or things like that um you know that i guess it's taken up um some of that time is is taken up being able to focus on that stuff um with fewer resources um so so it's it's i guess it's an efficiency it's an efficiency aspect. For you sure. don't, um, smaller teams can accomplish more um, than what they used to be able to. Fantastic. And that's always great whenever you can, you know, compress those variables mm. from a business standpoint. Now, another thing I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask you is, you know, you're an AWS serverless hero. How does that feel? Is there a secret Avengers team? You know, you guys get a call and then you all assemble. Um yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And, you know, more importantly, I think, you know, like, what does it mean to you to be an AWS serverless hero? Yeah, it's, that's an interesting question. There is, of course, a secret column. We do assemble, but I can't, I can't talk any more about that. Of course. Um, but no, yeah, so I, I, got the, I got the call a couple of years ago, I guess, when, when the serverless hero initiative launched about, about whether I'd like to join. I, I thought it sounded like a, like a great idea to be able to, um, just to be able to be in touch with some some other people working in the serverless space in it in mm-hmm. a kind of way that you know I guess it's just in a group that that hadn't existed before, and it's been great to see what what the the sort of other heroes have have come up with and and the various things that they end up you know trying out and testing and I guess we all get beta access to to various products before they launch um, as I'm sure many many customer many big customers do as well but that's that's kind of nice to be able to give feedback on on various features that are that are potentially upcoming and things like that but it's good I think I think it's um, I'm the sort of person who likes to be likes to continue to be very critical of you know everything that AWS does in a way that pushes them to be better I, I still think they're by far the best. Um, cloud provider out there for for pretty much everything, especially serverless. But I don't I don't kind of let the the serverless hero aspect get in the way of me going. You know, I really dislike this about AWS, or I really dislike this about their tools or <laughs> yeah, or yeah. their UX. And and certainly it doesn't it doesn't stop me from um, reaching towards the other providers for for better tools. I think um, Google, for example, has some great products. BigQuery. Um, we use a lot at Bustle, and I think it blows um, anything that AWS has out of the water. It's it's such a great product, and the the AI and ML stuff is is also really good at, at Google. And I say I would say better than than what AWS has to offer. Um, and Cloud Run, I think, is a great product as well, and and that's been fascinating to see that 
you know, come into the serverless space as well. So yeah, I, I, I certainly don't let it, I, I was a little bit worried if I, if I took on the, you know, if I <laughs> took on that title, that it would prevent me oh, yes. um, from being as critical, but, but I think they're they're very good sports about it. They, they know that they're number one in the space um, and that, that they're not really threatened um, by anything. And, and they're very good at, you know, AWS is very customer driven. So I think they're, they're pretty good at listening to feedback from people and, and taking it on board and, and going, okay, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And we'll try to do better on this. I'll try to do better on that. But yeah, it's great. I think it's, I think it's good. I've, I've definitely met some, some interesting people along the way and, and seen some, some great products or initiatives be launched and I, I wonder, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing they would have still happened if these people hadn't have been heroes, but there's, there's something, I guess, about that that elevates the platform that they have a little bit. Like, you know, Jeremy Daly just, just launched his serverless reference architectures. I'm not sure yeah. if you saw that, but yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's a great addition to the, to the space. And I think we'll, we'll continue to see things like that come out as the, as the space matures. And I guess you kind of, you need, um, you need people who are experts in this space and it's nice to be recognized as one of those people. Yeah, completely. And, you know, you know, the serverless industry is like, you know, fairly small or at least, you know, mm-hmm. compared to like all the people who are developers around the world, who are the people who are really, you know, specifically, you know, really excited about using serverless and experimenting with it and implementing it. And so, you know, it's nice to see that, you know, AWS is like supporting a community around that, as well as, you know, just getting to help facilitate some extra communication and and insight into what everyone's working on. Because there's always something very interesting, I think I see. Whenever I talk to not just other AWS serverless heroes, but anyone in the serverless space um, seems to attract just a group of people who's always, you know, really interested into solving problems. And that's one of my favorite things is just, you know, thinking about those hard problems. Yeah, well, I, I think um, this, this sort of goes back to what we were talking about before. But when you remove that aspect of having to manage the infrastructure and having to, you know, you remove a lot of the configuration options away from people. Well, you know, what's left is this kind of platform that people can innovate on and build new and interesting products or tools without getting bogged down, you know, in the nitty gritty of, Oh, here's here's a whole bunch of time and effort that's been put into all the configuration that you can do. You know, yes, Lambda's getting bigger. There are obviously in time going to be more more levers to pull and more knobs to tweak. But by and large, it's still very it's still very easy to to configure a, a serverless system. So there doesn't need to be a whole wealth of time and effort put into that. And instead, people are putting their effort into building cool tools and systems on top of it including, yeah, a lot of the people that, that you've probably chatted to on your podcast and things like that. I think I'd like to see maybe more, like, I don't know how often, you know, AWS decides to ring the call and then all the serverless hero Avengers get together, but it would be cool if they maybe did more things like that. I don't know. But in-person interaction, I think is also just like really beneficial in the technology space, just because a lot of the times, you know, since I've joined this industry, I'm like at my computer. And now that I'm working from home, it's like the same the same room for like hours at a time. I'll take a walk, but mm-hmm. uh, it would be nice to actually see some see some faces and you know yeah. drink some be- drink some beer and uh, eat, <laughs> right. eat some little yeah, shrimp. It's, or it's, something. It is a little bit tricky at the moment. I, I do imagine that there would be some more events if if COVID wasn't happening right now. Well, it, it'll be interesting to see anyway what happens with reinvent. 
you know, my, my gut feel at the moment is that it's not going to happen. I don't know if there's been any announcements or anything. I, I don't think we're, we're not privy to anything that anyone else isn't. But yeah, I imagine there'll, there'll be something that AWS will, will put together for a virtual reinvent. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what that looks like and who that involves and how they, how they end up doing that. Yeah, I'm really excited to see, you know, sort of how they square that circle, how they make that decision. Mm. Well, nice. I've actually never been because it always falls on my birthday ah. um, and it doesn't quite feel right to just go down to Vegas yeah. and go to a conference, you know. So I've never been to reInvent. So this might be the, the first year that, that the like playing field is leveled and uh, I, I get to participate in the way that everyone else can, <laughs> has to participate. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, a similar thing. There's been some other conferences happening and this is the first time I've been able to go because it's all virtual. So right. I just, you know, <laughs> flip up my computer's like, okay, I'm here. I don't have to coordinate a plane ticket and coordinate all That's the right. you don't. You don't have FOMO because you're not yes. missing out on anything. Exactly. You know, so, for, you know, from from all this experience being a serverless, AWS serverless hero, being down in the weeds of serverless, I would say, looking at the trends, seeing mm. how things are going. Are there any particular areas? We've talked about this a little mm-hmm. bit as far as, you know, potentials for future uh, either cloud debugging or right. better local debugging tools. Is there anything that, you know, you think is on the precipice of of being created or something particular you think the space needs before we can sort of hit another level of either productivity or just sort of innovation? I mean, I, I think I think so. I think there are still some gaps to be had around more complex application development. Um, I think there are some people that are, and, and, and this, you know, I think this includes many serverless heroes um, that feel that Lambda specifically should, should only be used for certain things. I'm more in the camp that I would love it to be used for everything. <laughs> I would love for everything mm-hmm. to run on Lambda, including like yes. incredibly complex AI, ML workloads. I would love a GPU. You know, I'd love to have a GPU attached to my Lambda so I could be mm-hmm. doing neural net stuff in a Lambda environment. I would, I would love for there to be better sort of serverless primitives, you know, like an, like an in-memory cache or, or, or thing, things like that um, that you'd be able to access from Lambda. And, and of course, just increased limits. Um, I think s- some people like the limits and, and I do appreciate that uh, mentality. I think it's nice to have limits imposed on your, on your systems because it, it means that you, you don't end up abusing them. But it would be nice, you know, for those who kind of know what they're doing to have a bit more of an advanced override and just be able to say, um, no, I want uh, 16 gigabytes of RAM mm-hmm. in this Lambda and I want access to three gigabytes of um, hard drive, you know, ephemeral yes. hard drive space, not EFS, you know, because that's kind of slow. And so, so I'm, I'm, my, I'm in the camp that I would love uh, Lambda to open up some of the limits. And I think that would open up some use cases. Um, they might be incremental, but I think it would open up, you know, I, I have this, this project Lamb CI, which, which I started many years ago, which is sort of, you know, get, get CI running on Lambda. And, and it works for many, many, many projects, but then there are some that it just doesn't work for because they, they either, you know, run into limits. You could, I've, I've tried out EFS, but EFS isn't really built for, for heavy write workloads. So, you know, if in a CI build, if you're doing an NPM install or something like that, it's just, it's just way too slow uh, on EFS. And if your project happens to be more than 512 megabytes, then, well, you just, you just wouldn't be able to run that on Lambda at the moment. Um, so opening up, opening up some things like that would be great. And, I, 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 you know, that's a no-brainer, I think, um, for AWS, unless they really want to be hard 
line about some of these limits. They, they haven't increased the three gigabyte or the 512 yeah. meg um, or the package, so the 256 package size limit in um, in a very long time. So I'm, hmm. I'm hoping that um, those sorts of limits will be increased. Even, even if they're just increased by a bit, I think it'll open up a bunch more workloads. And then there are other things like um, persistent connections. You can do kind of web sockets, um, you know, obviously through API Gateway. I feel like it's a little bit too complex for most developers, but it'll be interesting to see going forward whether you know you can you can do some things with Lambda. It's it's tricky. It's you know there's there's a lot mm-hmm. of advantages to the aspect of being very request response and single process and things like that. But then there are some times when you don't need that. Um, so I think it'd be interesting for AWS to play around with allowing in the same way that Cloud Run does, allowing, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 concurrent connections to a single Lambda. I think for, for certain web serving um, apps, it would be totally fine. You're still kind of isolated in this sense that, fine, if one of your processes dies, well, you're only going to lose at most, you know, 10 connections or something, but you're still got to, suddenly you've got this 10x boost in um, concurrency without needing to spin up an entire new container, even if that only happens to take, you know, 50, 100, 200, 500 milliseconds, that's still more time than reusing an existing container. But it's tricky, you know, I, I get it. Uh, if, if I was a product manager for Lambda, I'd be like, yeah, but now we're starting to veer into a space that's not quite Lambda. How, how do we do it in a way that's still very easy to use and that's that's not taking away from some of the aspects that people really enjoy about it. And then I think um, some of the other things that that will happen or that will need to happen, this is kind of a story of, story of my open source life is that I end up creating these tools that eventually just end up being replaced by something that AWS builds themselves. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I built built Dynalite back in the day, which was a local DynamoDB um, store, oh, yeah. and then and then AWS comes out with DynamoDB Local and mm-hmm. um, Docker Lambda. AWS is now going to take all that code and use it themselves and build their own <laughs> um, build their own images. And um, I'd, I'd kind of hope actually that the same thing will happen um, with with another project of mine, Yumda, which is which is essentially just a collection of Yum packages that have been recompiled for a Lander environment um, because can't use a lot of um, a lot of the sort of out of the box um, Yum packages in in a, a Lambda layer because they expect to be mounted in a different you know they just expect um, software to be in a different place than what it is. Um, so I think I think AWS is going to need to get better at that. I think um, like better at how do I how do I install this complex bit of system software or system library on my Lambda. Um, in an easy way that there are layers, but then you're relying on someone to have a pre-built layer out there um, that has all of the stuff you need. Um, something like Yumda, you know, that I've created makes that easier, mm-hmm. um, but it's still it's still a bit of a process. It's not as easy as using a Docker container, you know, yeah. or using a Docker image. I've, I've from from day one, I've I've wanted to be able to run Docker containers on Lambda. I think that would be super cool. Um, but you know, there's there's hurdles, and I think a lot of the resistance to that has always been, yeah, but that would make make it slower. Um, but I think products like Cloud Run have shown that you can still launch containers incredibly quickly, and, and the technology is getting better and better. There, um, I feel like serverless application repository 
like has a lot of promise, but I, I don't feel it's there yet. It's not, it's not as, um, it doesn't have a lot of the same ergonomics that something like NPM does. And I feel like it should, like, I feel like it should, we should just be able to NPM install, um, you know, a particular Lambda library or, or a particular something. Um, but you just kind of can't. You can, you can create a, you can attach a serverless application if you can find it, um, to your cloud formation stack, but it's, I don't know, the ergonomics aren't, aren't particularly good. And I don't, I don't actually see many people using them out there. Um, it, it feels like it's, it, it either needs some love or it needs, um, you know, better UX or it needs some better discoverability around it. I'm not sure. And if they improve those things, maybe more people will use it and that will give more of an incentive, you know, to sort of give it some more, some more love in that way. I think there's a bit of a discoverability issue at the moment. I'm, co-contributor on this on this repository um called awesome layers which is a list of you know just cool lambda layers that people have created um but again that's the sort of thing that you go yeah why doesn't this exist in aws somewhere why don't they have a better discoverability mechanism for really cool layers that people have created and i often get people contacting me saying hey how do i you know create a layer that that does this or does this and it's like well that already exists um you just there's a discoverability problem here. You have to go out and find it, and and it, it yeah. There's there's a lot of there's there's a you know a UX that you could imagine where these sorts of things were easily discoverable from the Lambda web console, um, and you could just yeah do something as simple as an npm install, and boom, there it is, and you're attached to your Lambda. So yeah, there are some things like that. I think that AWS needs to needs to get better to solve some. Some arguably some very like beginner problems that that newcomers to the Lambda space have. I think when they're just like, wait, how do I do X? And it's like, well, okay, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And they're like, no, did you just tell me to f myself? I mean, seriously, <laughs> like, you know, like yeah, it should be simpler than that. Serverless is here to stay, um, and it's it's getting bigger and bigger. So I think it's it's only a matter of time before some of these problems get solved and before it becomes easier for newcomers i certainly hope so anyway i hope it doesn't turn into one of these spaces where you know you have to hire a serverless consultant i mean you know maybe this is your guys business model (laughs) you know where where that everyone has to you know um hire a serverless consultant just to figure out how to do stuff um you kind of hope that or at least that those problems as as you put it before move higher up the the stack right like the the reason that people are hiring serverless consultants is not to solve just super simple configuration questions or just simple ar- arguably infrastructure kind of questions cuz you know the whole idea of serverless is that you don't need to think about that but more you know higher level maybe architecture things cuz you're never really going to solve the problem of how do i build a piece of software that's made up of multiple different services talking to each other it's like a technology alone isn't going to solve that problem yes. there are some certain just um, fundamental aspects that you need to learn and you need to think about the way that your team is structured and like you know a whole bunch of higher level things i think that that humans are better at helping other humans at um that technology is not necessarily ever going to be good for and so we'll, we'll leave that you know we'll leave that space for the where the future is and ideally those will be the only problems left um, and all the technological ones will just be not solved but you know absolutely and you know from the consulting side you know i'll say i think you know our team is always more enthused when we're not having to help very like you know very simple configuration or just mm-hmm. very simple you know sort of problems where it's like oh 
because at that point you're sort of like almost teaching the organization or right. the team like how right. how to Google or how to right. just sort of right. problem solve in that way, and that isn't yeah. the best use of anyone's time. You know what? It'd just be great if AWS could come out with a thing, a service that just solves this complex pattern, yes. and then I could just point people to that. You know. Yeah. Exactly. We've we've had to start just uh, making patterns and templates that we just that just live for free on our like GitHub repo, and right. people can just like download it because there isn't like a good place for that normally. And so mm-hmm. it's like just use this, and you cannot have to worry about it. The best practice is already there. Let's right. focus on architecture or something like that in that sort of way. Now, um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. But I also want to you know see if you have any final things. Final things you want to say? Is there anything? extra interesting that you're working on sort of besides the LAM CI, besides the Yamda? I do want to get mm-hmm. a LAM CI version 1.0 out. Um, it's been a bit tough with everything that's happening. I feel like at the moment we've, there are two camps. There are people with kids and people without kids. And the, yeah. the people without kids are getting lots of stuff done. Maybe that's not true, but that's certainly the, that's what it feels like as someone with a child, with a two-year-old running around everywhere. So I haven't had as much time recently uh, to put into it, but I'd love to to launch a LAMCI 1.0, and and I have some ideas for it um, that that follow sort of the way that CDK kind of really leverages TypeScript for for you know strongly typed and and a bit of um, implicit documentation there. You know, the one advantage of a, of a typed system is that when you have these very complex configurations, it's great to just have auto completion and things like that. Um, and I think I haven't seen this, maybe, maybe it exists out there, but I haven't seen this in a CI system. So um, I kind of want to build that into LAM CI and, and have you just be able to declare it, you know, write, write your CI scripts using TypeScript with, with a lot of very powerful primitives in there um, so that you kind of get the completion. You're not having to worry about if your YAML syntax is correct or, or just constantly be looking up the documentation because ideally a lot of this stuff is self-documenting or, or at least, you know, what parameters do I put here? Well, um, so I want to play around with that um, and and work a lot on the, the parallelization. I have a lot of this stuff kind of working in Bustle, um, but, but turning it into, you know, a public open source project that can accommodate lots of different people's needs is tricky. Um, aside from that, no, no secret little projects. I launched a <laughs> thing recently, a little commander project, um, that, that helps you copy over to EFS, um, just by using Lambda. Um, but that's just a little, a little toy. Um, and, um, again, it's one of those tools that I, I'm assuming that AWS will come out with something. <laughs> Fantastic. And if someone was interested in one of these uh, projects or one of these ones that were uh, that have been released, how mm-hmm. can they find it? Is it on your Twitter? My Twitter handle is Heichel Mart, which is basically Michael Hart, but with the H and the M swapped. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm M Hart on GitHub. Um, Fantastic. And then, and then there is a LAM CI GitHub. That's where you can find all these projects. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, I hope some people really check check it out. And I'm really interested to see once you get the, uh, the LAM CI 1.0 mm-hmm. and uh, take taking that first spin and seeing what the team can uh, can do over here at, at Serverless Guru and Talking Serverless. And uh, yeah, super excited. And thank you so much for uh, for coming on today and talking with us. This was a really good conversation. Yeah, that was great, Josh. Um, we, we chatted about a lot of very interesting things. And um, as always, I leave these conversations hopeful and excited about the future and the various things that are going to happen and come out. Absolutely. I do as well. And, you know, all the, to all the listeners, thank you again for taking the time to listen to Talking Serverless.